Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Airways Podcast, Season 4, Episode 15. And we're doing this right on the heels of uh, major news. I'm hoping Fija Misart, joined by Vinay Pascar and Rohan Anand, the one and only. And yeah, today we have big news. Alaska Air Group, owner of Alaska Airlines, announced in a press release Sunday uh, that it plans to buy Hawaiian Airlines. So that's the most recent instance of consolidation among U.S. airlines. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing pretty well. So this was something that I think most of us were taken by surprise by. And when it came down to it, I think to myself how the consolidation industry in the U.S., airline-wise, is an ever-evolving equation. Currently, with the JetBlue Spirit merger being blocked by the Department of Justice, as well as the fully baked mergers of the big four, American Delta United and Southwest, for Alaska, in taking this sort of plunge, so to speak, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, Avine, what did you think? Like you, I was blown away. Um, I was honestly spending most of uh, what was a very lazy Sunday up until that point watching football and uh, still basking in the afterglow of my uh, Texas Longhorns finally making the college football playoff. But when I saw the news, I was honestly shocked. I was shocked, A, because, you know, given the recent shift uh, under the Biden administration towards a more skeptical antitrust view and given you know, all the bad press around the Spirit JetBlue merger. Um, and on, frankly, given the fact that Hawaiian has in, at least in the post-pandemic period, been kind of the laggard of the industry, I thought that the timing felt, yeah, I, I was shocked. I was honestly shocked when I saw the news. As I've thought about it a little bit more, it seems increasingly clear to me that this was largely about Hawaiians long haul assets, right? Because ultimately at the end of the day, if you look at Hawaiian, right, Hawaiian's a very interesting airline, but really there's three major components to Hawaiian Airlines, right? There's the inter-island stuff, right? Which is a lot of high frequency inter-island flying that has just been absolutely getting mauled with the entry of Southwest Airlines into those markets like Honolulu to Maui or Honolulu to Kona, right? So that's not a very valuable asset, nor something you really want to buy. Um, You've got their routes over to the United States, which again has been impacted by the entry of Southwest on those routes, which has been impacted in this sort of post-COVID period by you know U.S. carriers, particularly United, having a lot of spare wide-body capacity that they threw into um, Hawaii. Now, it looks like some of that you know, U.S. mainland to Hawaii competition is cooled a little bit, at least from the United Airlines side, as they found you know better places to stick triple sevens and seven eight sevens but for the most part you know there's been a really rough market situation for hawaiians domestic flying there's also been a really rough situation frankly for hawaiians trans-pacific markets right australia 
has been doing okay, you know, in this post-pandemic period, but a lot of its traditional Asian markets, Japan in particular, but also South Korea, have not has not seen the kind of travel recovery that I think everyone at Hawaiian Airlines would have hoped for. So there's not a lot in terms of the actual underlying business that feels really good at this moment in time, right? And some of the things that have historically made Hawaiian a strong performer, right? You know, in particular, the post-Aloha monopoly on inter-island flying um, for a long time, the relative strength compared to U.S. carriers on mainland routes. Some of those, those things have structurally shifted in a way against Hawaiian Airlines. So you're not going to really buy Hawaiian Airlines for its, for its existing route network. You're also not going to buy Hawaiian Airlines for its fleet, right? Um, you know, the inter-island fleet is a bunch of 717s, which, you know, literally no airline except for Hawaiian and, and maybe Delta wants these days, right? Because it's just, it's an old, out-of-date platform. It's great at that specific mission, right? Those short hop island flights. But outside of that, it's it's there are better aircraft. You're not buying it for its A321neos. I, I think I saw a tweet today um, from someone that said that Alaska Airlines was proudly all Boeing for a grand yeah. month. They got rid of the Airbus A321s and said they're to American Airlines because they know that they would get some from the Aloha State. <laughs> right, exactly. So what are you really buying? And, and I think the more you look at this, I think the more it comes down to the fleet of A330s and, and soon-to-be 787s that are long-haul capable. I think that's what, that's what Alaska is really buying. And they're buying it because at the end of the day, Alaska, you look at their capacity, you look at their route network, they are a Seattle airline, right? There's obviously the operations in, in, in um, Portland. There's the operation in San Francisco that they inherited from Virgin America. There's, you know, still plenty of, of stuff down in L.A., but, you know, close to 50% of their daily flights, right, touch Seattle in some form or fashion. Seattle so, is so, three to four times the size of any other hub. And let me yeah. just get, get to the last point here. If you look at what's what's been happening in Seattle, Alaska, for a long time now, has been trying to figure out how they deal with Delta in Seattle, and specifically the fact that Delta can fly long haul and Alaska cannot. And they've tried to solve this with um, a sort of a potpourri of international partners. And they've also tried to solve this with its with the sort of dead in its track American Airlines long haul hub. But once American decided to pull the plug on its Seattle operation, I think Alaska was sitting there looking at this environment and said, "Okay, well, how are we going to solve our long haul problem in what is our most important market, Barnett?" So that's I think what ultimately this is about. And I think that you will see those A330s or eventually the 787s flying from Seattle to Tokyo, from Seattle to London, Seattle to Seoul. Because otherwise, this, this, this acquisition does not make much sense to me. So the strategic rationale, as they say, when you look at the combined route map, um, says that the natural extension of the Alaska network has less than 3% overlap with Hawaiian. And... It also touts the uh, third-fold increase in the unique destination served Albert Group Hawaii, the uh, aircraft combination that's going to be in the hundreds, now like 300 plus, and also the one world element to this. And I, I've been talking a lot today with some of the insiders about how Alaska joined One World, uh, announcing that in 2020 with the Seattle hub, uh, with American sort of 
announcement that, as you mentioned, became, you know, null. Uh, Hawaiian has always kind of played with One World in some kind of way, at one point even having had a, um, you know, potential joint venture application with Japan Airlines. And then in the middle, in the Pacific, you got like the Air Tahiti Nui, you have the Fiji Airlines, and then you have the South Pacific uh, Qantas relationship. So this could be a real play for the Pacific. And as you mentioned, Vinay, even though the Alaska Airlines fleet doesn't contain long haul uh, wide body planes, they have you know the assets in the terms of an Airbus A330 and the Boeing 787 Mac, uh, Boeing 787 fleet that will join the network. I remember, in fact, over five years ago, I wrote a story for Airways Magazine regarding the dream letters that Hawaiian was um, intending to receive. And I think it was over like 10. And um, it's nuts to me that it's been all these years and those aircraft still have not come. Uh, the A321 has done a great job in terms of connecting the mainland of uh, the U.S. with Hawaii, especially on secondary routes like from Kahului, Maui, and Kona and Lahui to the U.S. But what about the 77s? If the if the Trans-Pacific Network is not going to be cutting it right now, you know, then with those Dreamliner deliveries, aside from the U.S. Whereas Hawaii actually, Hawaii mm-hmm. actually use those aircraft and be able to augment the network in the way that it works. Well, I think that was part of the challenge, right? Is that like Hawaiian, this is maybe an unfair characterization, but you know, you, you saw the recent route announcements. Um, I think Salt Lake City being probably the most um, interesting of the lot, right? But, you know, how many more markets was Hawaiian realistically going to be able to fly from Honolulu in its existing route structure, right? Like f- f- fundamentally, um, you know, you, you had sort of Honolulu to um, Salt Lake City, Sacramento to Liwe and Kona, fine. But at the end of the day, I feel like Hawaiian was sort of running out of markets. And as I kind of laid out earlier, I don't think that their existing markets were doing particularly well in the first place. So Hawaiian absolutely was at a crossroads. The, the the more interesting question to me is like, you know, what what is Alaska doing, ba- like quote unquote, bailing them out here? I think there, what it really comes back to for me is, yeah, they they need they need those A three thirties and really those seven eight sevens to compete against Delta in their most important market because any other rationale for this doesn't make a ton of sense, right? Alaska can do most of the West Coast to Hawaii flying that Hawaiian does today, right? Most of the routes that they do with an A320, they're going to be able to do with some variant of the MAX, or it's A321neo, they're going to be able to do with some variant of the MAX. So Alaska can do most of the mainland U.S. flying, right? The longer stuff for Hawaiian, right, the New York JFK, the Boston, the um, Orlando and Austin, like if you look at the the, the fare data and if you look at the, um, you look at the sort of, uh, um, you know, passenger load data, those are not well-performing, strong-performing routes. They are routes that, that Hawaiian is flying today in part because the Trans-Pacific Network isn't as strong as they thought it was going to be pre-COVID. 
And I, I think part of the challenge for Hawaiian is that fundamentally their competitive position is always going to be tough relative to the mainland U.S. carriers, because especially for American, Delta, and United, and increasingly for Southwest, Hawaii serves a dual purpose in their networks, right? The first purpose is obviously it's a very large market with lots and lots of travelers, including some of those premium leisure travelers that you know airlines love these days. But it's also a market where you can park capacity to reward your mileage program members, right? It's a place that people like to redeem reward seats to, right? They like to, they like to use their Delta miles. Well, not their Delta miles because you can't really use Delta miles for anything. But they like to use their American miles. They like to use their United miles. And they like the theory of being able to use, they like the mirage of being able to use their Delta miles to fly to Hawaii. So there's always going to be more capacity to and from Hawaii than the underlying paid market conditions justify. So I think that their U.S. mainland market is permanently worse off, especially post-pandemic. I think that their inter-island market is permanently worse off so long as Hawaiian wants to continue, sorry, so long as Southwest wants to continue burning money on those inter-island routes. And and so, like, again, like, this is where I I think that, like, I understand what they're doing with the merger. We'll set aside the question of whether I think it's the right thing to do as Alaska. But independent of that, I just like I don't see there as being a ton of synergy. There's not fleet synergy. There's not really network synergy, right? The flip side of of network overlap is that they they don't have that many stations in common. It's not like you're getting tons and tons of cost savings by combining these two carriers. You're keeping two AOCs. You're keeping two brands. It's not going to be that straightforward, right? It's it's not. It'd be one thing if they said we're going to merge Hawaiian into into Alaska. They're actually choosing to keep the Hawaiian brand. I'm actually curious what what you thought of that aspect of this where they're going to be keeping the Hawaiian Airlines brand around instead of it's bringing everything under It's completely Alaska cultural. Airlines. It's totally cultural. Um, with the Hawaiian Islands and with the Hawaiian identity, the fact that Hawaiian Airlines is truly associated with Hawaii and the islands of Hawaii as the primary air transport vessel uh, especially, you know, either Go Air, Mahalo, Aloha Airlines, they don't exist any longer, you know? And the sensitivity surrounding that is is a part of this. And in the same way that in Alaska, you know, the Alaska name brand outlived the Virgin name brand, Virgin America. So I think that has part of it uh, to do with it. The other part might be that the... DOJA lawsuit in scrutiny over the merger of JetBlue and Spirit has created this new dynamic by which even if you have in a merger scenario a fleet combination that will still only yield you 300 to 400 aircraft compared to the next biggest one which is you know, with Southwest American Delta United, that's in the 900s to 1,000s, right? Not counting mm-hmm. regionals, right? In that scenario, you still might find the DOJ blocking that merger. And so for those reasons, if you maintain separate branding, and if you maintain separate AOCs, separate cultures, separate sort of operations per se, you might be able to convince the antitrust and regulatory 
uh, formalities that you're not being anti-competitive because a merger may be perceived as anti-competitive, especially a merger like JetBlue Spirit. This January, get ready for an exciting issue of Airways Magazine, packed with captivating stories from the world of commercial aviation. Join us as we take you on an exclusive tour of European Air Transport's cargo hub in Leipzig, uncovering the significance of the Airbus A300 for this cargo airline. Celebrate the 40th anniversary of Airbus A320 as we explore the incredible influence of this iconic aircraft on commercial aviation. Discover the inspiring story of Air Tindy, a vital lifeline in the Northwest Territories. We take you on a journey through their remarkable operations. Embark on a thrilling adventure across Queensland as we hop on board a Rex Saab 340, experiencing the beauty of the Australian landscape from the skies. Finally, immerse yourself in the mesmerizing sights of aircraft lining up on final approach at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. We take you on a journey that celebrates the beauty, power, and precision of aviation at one of the world's busiest airports. Don't miss out on these incredible stories and more in the upcoming January issue of Airways Magazine. Get your copy now at your nearest Barnes & Nobles or online at airwaysmag.com slash shop. But the flip side, right, is that like 37% of, I think I read a stat somewhere, maybe it was from Enliria on on. Um, Patreon. Uh, Patreon. Or, or OnlyFans. I, I actually subscribed to Enrilia's OnlyFans uh, the other day. It's $10 a month. And he posts a lot. He posts a lot of content. It's it's good content. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so anyway, um, I, I can never pronounce I, I think it's Enrilia. Okay. Anyway, he basically it's wrote airline that. Airline background. Airline, yeah. airline back, backwards, rather. Oh, that actually That's makes what it some is. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart. I, I've yeah. never processed yeah. that. Um, okay. So apparently put a couple of drinks in you, you turn into Rain Man. Um, okay. Anyway, so I, I think he wrote a stat that said that like something like 37% of Alaska's West Coast to Hawaii capacity overlaps with Hawaiian on those routes. And by definition, it must, right? Because Alaska flies from, from a ton of you know California and West Coast airports to Hawaii, as does Hawaiian, right? That's also where a lot of the Hawaiian demand exists and so um at any rate i i just i like i the the thing that i don't get about this is I, the doj under the biden administration is fundamentally anti-consolidation right and i don't think that these sort of like clever tricks quote unquote are going to work against so that you're, telling me, you're telling me that you don't think this is going to pass I'm not saying that it is or isn't going to pass, right? Like, like I, I think I'll have a point of view on that after I see the JetBlue Spirit merger and what happens there. But my point is more so that I don't think that keeping them as two separate brands versus merging them together changes how the DOJ or how the Biden administration views airline consolidation. Okay, so our boy Scott, Scott Kirby, um, said that the Spirit... JetBlue merger is a 60-40 chance happening. 
I don't know whether it was 60% yes, 40% no, or reverse. So I don't, I don't want to bet against scurvy. And so let's assume affirmative. I don't think that if that merger goes through, that this one won't have er, precedence to get blocked. I agree with that. But the flip side is, is, it, is that if, if the JetBlue sphere merger is blocked, then I think this also, um, it, it, I, I, yeah, the, the thing I'm quibbling with is not the idea that like, um, that either of these mergers could or couldn't happen. Like, I think both of them have a, a decent chance of happening. What I'm saying is that I don't think that, you know, in a world where JetBlue sphere gets blocked, I don't think that the fact that you, you're keeping Hawaiian and Alaska separate is going to prevent them from being blocked as well right i'm, yeah. I'm saying that the, the, the that like the the, sh- the splitting of the brands isn't to me the, it isn't really about your in, in increased odds of passing regulatory muster i think it's about to your point you, you i think you called it correctly right that there is a lot of brand equity and a lot of history and i think you you risk harming the culture and the brand equity of hawaiian airlines within the hawaiian islands if you were to get rid of the name I think the other interesting dynamic that has been described here to me is, um, and I'm also pulling from the merger um, PowerPoint or deck rather that you had uh, taken a look at earlier, is the notion of using 737s to replace the 717s uh, in those inter-island markets. What about about the Republic flights or or the Republic aircraft? Can they use Embraer jets? Can they use E-175s? I mean, because that's the other thing, too, to this whole mixture that is different is that Southwest, no one would have said this five years ago, least of all myself. I remember when I did a little strategic study back in the mid 2000s about Southwest in the Hawaiian market. And that entailed Southwest being able to fly from West Coast to the islands in the sort of revenue environment that they'd fare against, including Alaska and, you know, the other, you know, mainland carriers, including our, you know, very own big four, right? So not only is Hawaiian, you know, the the de facto carrier with, you know, DC-9s come 717s into our island, but Southwest has also become an inter-island Hawaiian operator, yet Southwest also had to can a lot of those inter-island flights within the past couple of years because they weren't making money. And yeah, they've been doing long well. as, as long as Southwest is on those inter-island flights, I don't think you can downshift to E-175s. Now, if Southwest ever backs off and says, you know what, we're, we're out of the inter-island game, then all of a sudden, yeah, I think you can get away with E-175s and you can raise fares a little bit and maintain frequency and, and be profitable that way. But I think for the moment, I don't know that you can get away with flying E-175s. What about loyalty? What about loyalty, though? What about upgrades? I mean, there might be that person that flies on the reg between, you know, Kona and Honolulu or from Lihui to Kahului, and they do want the premium cabin. They do want to get that upgrade. They want their pog juice. Where those they want the brewing happen on a on a on a four, on a forty five minute on a forty five minute flight. 
They worked but, like, like I, 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 mean, I mean, like, yeah, maybe there. it's more relevant. They want the macadamia nuts. Can't you get the Pakistan economy? It's been a while since I flew Hawaiian Airlines. I, I'm just saying, you know, Hawaiian well, doesn't so, have a lounge. They don't have a lounge concept. Alaska has the boardrooms. And then One World in the lounge concept might create like a lounge in, in you know, Daniel K. Inui. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. What? what? Hawaiian Airlines does have, does have. Yeah, hang, hang on, hang on. Oh, Hawaiian does have lounges. They've got an international really? business class and elite lounge at, at Honolulu. They've also got domestic lounges at um, Honolulu, Liwe, Kaului, Kona, and Hilo. I've been in one of these lounges before. Ooh, I don't think they're not special, but they, they, ha- they absolutely have lounges. The Alaska, lo- the okay, Alaska you know, I'm sorry. L- lounges are nice, but the, they're the not. The boardroom. Like, right. Okay. I, I, I don't view that as like a justification for this. By any means. Okay, so returning to my point, I didn't think that Southwest would be relevant Look, I, to the narrative. What it always continues right to come back to me for, like, what, what always comes back to to with, with me. So what it what it comes back to for me is Alaska needs long haul farm. Like that is what they need. And fundamentally, I think this, this merger is all about that. It's all about that long haul flying. Everything else to me is secondary. The, um, you know, the notion of there being synergies, the notion of Hawaiian being given lounges when they already have lounges, like all of that's fine. At the end of the day to me, I think it, it's about that A and then it's about B to some extent, right? I'm sure being a part of one world and being able to sort of get some of the benefits that that Alaska has gotten from American and 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 tap into those, especially for U.S. mainland flying. I'm sure that's valuable as well. But at the end of the day, like I, I just fundamentally, it feels to me like this is all about the long haul. And I think that that is a really interesting decision to think about when you look at how poorly that has gone for JetBlue. And this is maybe the ultimate place where I want to get to, which is I don't know that this merger is a good idea. And the reason I don't know, don't know that this merger is a good idea is because fundamentally, Alaska is a very profitable airline that is very well run doing the thing that it has done for the last 40 years, which is it does a bunch of intra-Alaska flying that's really profitable and really niche, niche and really unique. It does a bunch of West Coast flying, and it is Seattle's hometown airline for domestic flying and short haul flying out to about six hours right? That is Alaska's bread and butter. And you saw with the Virgin America merger, right, when they tried to dip into LA and San Francisco and become more of a premium transcon player, that did not go well for Alaska because that's not their bread and butter. That's not the thing that they are good at. That's not the thing that they have built customer loyalty around. And so the thing that that strikes me here is I understand why they're doing this strategically. I just, I don't think it is the right move. And yeah, maybe they get more of the benefit of the doubt relative to JetBlue because they're a better run airline. But fundamentally, like flying long haul flying off of Alaska's base network or off of Hawaiian's network, as the last three years have shown, is not a great way to be profitable in the year 2023. So I am skeptical of this merger, I think is is where I ultimately land on it. It's going to, you know, it'll happen. It won't happen. Um, you know, it'll get blocked off, whatever. But I am skeptical that this will work. Let's talk stocks. 
Let's talk money. Okay. Where are we seeing the numbers? Right? And, and, and part of that is that mer mergers historically, right? When, when they go well, they go well for a couple of reasons. Right? They tend to go well because there's lots of... Okay. So with the announcement of today, where did we see the numbers for Alaska or coin move? And similarly, I think, you know, I, I believe it's important to look at numbers uh, statically and dynamically, right? Like, what is the market's confidence? What is the investor confidence? And not only these mergers going through, also what do either the investors believe um, can come about from this, right? Where's that confidence? So Alaska was up about 5% um, today, but today's a Sunday, so I, I, don't, I don't put too much stock into that. Let, let, let's see where things land at the end of trading tomorrow, right? On, on Monday, we're recording on Sunday, uh, December, sorry, uh, they, they were up uh, 5% on, on, on um, December 1st, right, which is, uh, which is Friday. And um, since Friday, they've actually they've actually dipped by about you know like uh, I think is that one percent, one and a half percent, two percent. So Alaska Airlines share price is down. Hawaiian share price, by definition, is going to go up because they just got a merger uh, award. And let, 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 let's see where things stand on on Monday. Let's see let's see where things stand on at the end of trading on Monday um, before we we can make a call on this one way or the other. Because again, I. I just, I, I don't know, man. I'm skeptical. So then JetBlue. You talk about JetBlue. JetBlue, so for me, from a personal perspective, I have a lot of mosaic points. And quite truthfully, like, unlike Alaska, right? I have a lot of Alaska points as well. I've actually got loyalty with both in terms of credit card and flying. I would think that my JetBlue points would be valuable to use to fly Mint, which I've always wanted to do and never have. And the other option is to use them to fly on Hawaiian, but that's allegedly a poor redemption. Whereas my Alaska miles, I had been able to use them to fly business class on Finnair, on British Airways, on Emirates, I mean, a lot of airlines and Alaska has, you know, been partners with Korean and Air France KLM and Emirates and even JetBlue is partners with Emirates for a while. Now it's different, like Alaska's more one world um, centric, right? So I guess the question is, from a loyalty perspective, right? Does this mean that JetBlue and Hawaiian are going to uh, sever ties? And does this mean that the value of the JetBlue, um, you know, points might lose some value there? Because here's the other thing. I still also have like 50,000 spirit miles. <laughs> I know, Why? I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's like, it, you know, maybe those spirit, free spirit points still will become mosaic miles. I mean, like these airlines just keep doing this to me, right? Like... You know, at some point, like maybe my son country, you fly rewards. 
will be reactivated in a redeemable on the time. You don't even live in Minneapolis. Yeah, but they also have a hub out of Dallas, like allegedly. <laughs> the only airline I've not flown on is Allegiance and Avella and Breeze and that's So I have to do those three at least before I turn, I don't know, 40, I guess. Okay. Well, so I do think that the mileage piece is interesting here, right? Because it does make Alaska miles more valuable. Um, the acquisition of long haul aircraft does make Alaska Airlines' mileage program that much more attractive, both be in the literal sense that you can get to um, Asia on Alaska Air Group metal. And in theory, if they were to open up routes out of Seattle, it probably makes the Seattle sort of component much more impressive. And so I think what it really boils down to is, um, is, is, a, is, a, is a question around how much do you, how much do you value that at? Because I do think that there is value there, right? The thing that, the thing that, that worries me about this merger is that you're not getting the normal cost synergies that you get from a traditional merger, and that matters. You're not really getting useful network scale for your bread and butter, right? Like, yes, you're, you're getting a, a new hub in Hawaii. You're getting a ton of scale in the Hawaiian market. But you're not getting, you know, you're not getting, you're not adding Charlotte to the American Airlines network, right? You're not adding Houston and Seattle and Newark to the United Airlines network. It's just, it just fundamentally is a different type of merger. And I don't know. I think, you know, We've sort of belabored the point here, so I maybe get to good to call yeah. here. But I just I le I left. I was surprised when I first saw the news. Um, the like airline geek in me thinks it's cool. The sort of sober rational analyst in me thinks that you know, sort of like the Virgin America merger, right? Alaska's core business is big and profitable enough that this may or may not show up in their financial results when you look out five or six years from now. But I just, I see an airline thinking, hey, we have to go long haul because that's really what this is about when you get down to brass tacks. And I just, I, I am always skeptical of that. And we'll so. leave it at that. Okay. Well, with that, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Airways podcast, a little shorter this time, just our quick, unfiltered, raw reactions to the Hawaiian Airlines Alaska Aero air merger that was announced on a Sunday. The fact that they announced this on a Sunday is hilarious to me because it, generally when news is announced on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday, usually that's a signal that like the, the people doing the announcing have something to hide. Maybe they don't want to get kind of press coverage. You know, given some of the swirling regulatory concerns that sit around airline mergers today, I wonder if that had something to do with why this announced on a Sunday so that the coverage and the news gets bled out over several ways. Mm. But it is Sunday, um, Sunday. it is fast Sunday fun Sunday, Sunday. Sunday the Lord's the Day Lord's as Day. you just described we get, it. We get deep, we get raw, we get real. This is how we do it. Okay. On that note, thank you all for listening to uh, season four, episode fifteen of the Airways podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Vinay. And I'm Rohan with Rohan. If you were to see us right now, Vinay is wearing a hat that says United, and I'm wearing a hat that says Lufthansa Nonstop You. Yeah, t plenty of uh, Star Alliance transatlantic JV bias uh, on this podcast today. Uh, with that, thank you all for listening. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. I see we have 
few more reviews on Apple Podcasts since the last time. But Wait, what did they uh, say? Go whatever you see about us. I think it's just some more five star reviews. I, I don't want to see some words on the recent. I want y'all to give us some critique. Please troll us in the reviews as long as you're giving us five stars. Like I think we're we're fine either way. Just just give us five stars and rate whatever you. Like, and all, I know that um, a lot of y'all like me work for the airline and be in union contract negotiations right now. For those rec- for those people, like we promise, we love you, like you know, and we support you. Just you know, we. we 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 would love to work for Curry in a hurry as well. It just we need to be unionized in order to do that. Okay, I I I I think on that note we need to um, <laughs> we, need, we need we need to cut it off. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. We will see you again. Much love. Time.